Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our next study in the encounter. This is for May 23rd, lesson number 12. We are in Galatians today called the family of God, and it's a beautiful lesson. I hope you really enjoy it. Before we get into it, I am joined today by my two lovely co-hosts, Logan. Hi, I'm Logan Dixon. I'm the pastor of Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Russellville, Arkansas. I'm also the host of the Monday Morning Megaphone, which is currently inactive, but that's that's my fault. I've been busy. Um, but you can go back and listen to episodes in the archive, and there will there should be a new one by the time this comes out, hopefully, but I've been saying that the last few episodes. Um, but I'm actually going to record one um, Tuesday, so here we go. Um, I'm also the co-host of the Culty Crimes and Criminal Minds podcast with my friend and fellow pastor, Nate, we, uh, Nate Wilcut. I keep wanting to call him Wheeler, but no. <laughs> Nate right. Wheeler would probably be insulted uh, by that. I would never do a podcast with that loser. Um, so, no, me and Nate Wilcut, who, by the way, just got his church signed up on the encounter. So, yeah. Very happy. Yep. And uh, I think that's it as far as I know. Yeah. Very good, Chris. All right. So we're back. And uh, so because COVID is what COVID is and people aren't in um, offices, there are extraneous sounds that happen. So anyway, I am in the sunroom because that might be a better place than others. Uh, but now some yard work is getting done. So anyway, uh, it's just a normal, it's a normal week, Becky. It's what it is. And okay. Yeah. Just a normal week. A normal week. And it will be okay. It will be it will. okay. It will. And I'm the, I'm the trio of this group. I am Reverend Rebecca Zardi. I pastor two churches in Western Kentucky, Madisonville First and Rose Creek CPCs. And you can also can find me on YouTube. It's Rebecca Zardi, Z-A-H-R-T-E, where I have Mondays and Fridays, a devotional video called Welcome Back to My Porch. So thank you all for joining us today. We appreciate your attendance. Please share this with other people. We usually put up a discussion question every week. We ask you to participate with that either on our YouTube page or our Facebook page. We love to have that interaction. So if you see our discussion question up there, go ahead and shoot your message to us and let us know what you think. And we'll tell you what our discussion question of the week is when we come up to it in our lesson. This morning, before we get into our lesson, let us go ahead and have our prayer for illumination. Holy God, Jesus said that a servant does not know their master's business. Thank you for adopting us as your children and opening to us the wisdom of heaven. Give our minds the desire and ability to hear wisdom today, not only as students, but as children would listen to their loving parents. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Our memory verse is Galatians 4, 6. It says, and because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So Chris is our author this week, and he's going to start us off with this family of God. Chris, what you got? So um, what I got for you is... Um, this is probably the most, um, I guess you would call, I've said it's the most personal lesson I've probably ever done. Um, and the reason being is, is because as I've said on 
many of occasions on this podcast and other places, I just learned the, the, the sanctity of the family um, after getting married and how it teaches you, um, it teaches you grace and in it you experience grace and in it you have to give grace, right? So um, when I, I, I put on here when I was 32, I got married uh, and I didn't have, I didn't have any children. Uh, and so my wife had two kids uh, from previous marriage and then we took in a kid from the church, a kid that I had kind of already, he, he was in a pretty tough spot. His mom was sick the entire time I was up in Paducah and um, single mom, teenage boys. He wasn't a teenager at the time, but anyway, it's terrible. Like it was hard for her. So most of the time I, I took care of, there were a lot of times that I took care of her kids um, because she was just in the hospital or whatnot. Anyway, once we got married, um, of course, me and my wife had to figure out how we become one flesh and then how do I deal with children that aren't mine technically, right? Like just because you get married doesn't mean that you automatically are an authority figure. You might be entitled, right. but you haven't earned it yet. And then you know, basically the week after we came back from our honeymoon, um, Marcus started living with us. And so then every single person in the family had a new context, right? Like Amy, although she had two kids of her own, now had to figure out what does it mean that I'm the parental guardian for this kid that I don't know. And I had to do that with her kids. And then of course, Hannah and Alex, who have been brother and sister their whole entire life at that time, all of a sudden had another kid that had come in. And now what does it mean to be part of that? And then how does that whole family structure work? And again, in so many ways, it's a reflection of the community of God or the family of God. We all come from different backgrounds. Of course, I told you that I said in the lesson, my two, my, my wife's husband was Filipino, uh, first generation Filipino. And so my kids are, um, biracial in an Asian American way. And then Marcus is biracial. His mom and dad, his mom was white and his dad was black. So he's biracial in, in that sense. And so, and then me and Amy are just normal, you know, we're the white middle-class folk. And so anyway, it's just, but that's a reflection of the kingdom of God. I mean, we all come from different backgrounds and different places and somehow you have to learn to live together and not only live together, but um, love one another, serve one another. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, and so anyway, kind of one of the, uh, one of the conversations, it was hard, it was hard at first, right? Because it's just, it's just hard. And I just remember talking to one of the kids and said, look, uh, the only way this works is if we open our hearts to one another and we seek one another's benefit as best we possibly can. And so over the years that's worked and, um, you know, we've successfully launched all children. Uh, Hannah is moving out to Murray State in June, she's got her own apartment coming up. And so that means that me and Amy will be um, empty nesters. Uh -huh. uh, but it also means that all of our children have been launched into the world, which is kind of cool. And, you know, so I guess in that and you'll have another adjustment period there of having no. Yeah, children. but I'm looking forward to trying, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how far it's going to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seems like a worthy exercise. <laughs> I'll tell you what, my, my wife and I don't have kids. We just have a dog. So technically, we're already empty nesters. Um, so i tell you what, we're empty nesters. And now all we got to do is retire early and we'll be living the life. 
Yeah, right. There you go. There that's you the go. way it works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the introduction. Um, I just think, you know, and I learned a lot. I le I've learned more in the eight years of marriage than I have the 32 years of study when it comes to the practice of grace and, and you know, I did, I, I'm yeah. blessed. I think it was a, bit, a beautiful story to start us off with, with the family of God, to think about that. That's really how the entire family is. And it's interesting because it's representative somewhat of my family. My family is very nuclear, very small mom, dad, four kids, um, you know, and, and that's all there was. But then when I married, I married into a family that had several divorces and there's yours, mine, ours and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, so some of the aunts and uncles were, well, that was, that was marriage number two or whatever. And they had, you know, and I was trying to like figure out how that works. And since I've come into the ministry, it's very interesting. Um, my husband has two siblings and his baby brother is the same age as our son, who my in-laws adopted when he was two. So that was an interesting dynamic to add because my husband grew up as an only child and now he has a brother who's the same age as our own child. And then in the last couple of years, my father-in-law did an adult adoption of his, of my husband's now sister. And she was, she is two years older than my husband is. So when they did this adult adoption, it added a whole nother dynamic because she's married and has children and all of a sudden, I've got a new sister-in-law, brother-in-law, niece, nephew, and, and their children, you know, so it's added a whole nother range. But every time something like that happens, or another interesting story through DNA, through um, ancestry, we have found an aunt that we were unaware of that was adopted out and now has reconnected to the family. Um, but every time I see the family of God in that. It's all these different backgrounds. It's all these different intersections. It's all this, well, this happened, this, and that wasn't maybe the best circumstance at the time, but you're still part of our family. You're still part of who we are. And what yeah. a beautiful story that is that we can all come together and share in that. Yeah. Logan, did you have anything you want to throw in on the introduction there? No, I mean, I think that, that about covers it. I just think it's very fascinating how, you know, the body of Christ is made up of people who, you know, we, we've got different cultural backgrounds, we've got different ethnic backgrounds, and yet we're all able to come together under the one banner of Jesus Christ. He, you know, whenever you read the book of Revelation, John has this grand vision of, of us worshiping around the throne. And he, mm -hmm. he says that, he says, Lord, you have made for yourself uh, you have bought for yourself a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so if, if you don't like diversity, you're going to hate heaven. All right. True. Yeah, that's it. And, that and is, uh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. For my and I'm life. thankful. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful process. And I think you shared a beautiful and amazing story to get us going, thinking about what the family of God really looks like. How about exploring the scripture? So it again, continues that theme, right? So in the Acts passage, so I don't know why the narrative lectionary does this. I guess I do, but they pair the Galatians passage here with the 
giving of the Holy Spirit. And I, and one of the reasons is, is because it's by the Holy Spirit we crown Abba Father. Um, but it's kind of hard to put into two things, but uh, we found a way to do it. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so the setting in Acts is, of course, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And what happens at that, at the day of Pentecost, was that you had these folks from different nationalities come together at Jerusalem. But the thing about it is they were all culturally Jewish. They still all um, practiced the, the Jewish laws. And, and so that, even though they spoke different languages, they weren't necessarily a mixed culture in that sense. They came from different nationalities because that's where they lived, but they still were pretty much Jewish, right? They still followed the same customs and all that jazz. They just did it in different languages. And so what happened there was the Holy Spirit broke down the communication barrier. And then you had this, everybody was hearing in their own tongue. Now, then what Acts continues to do after, after Pentecost is then in like uh, with Cornelius and with the Ethiopian eunuch, you start seeing it go not only from just language and national barriers, but then you get cultural and ethnic and other types of bar barriers that have broken down through the book of Acts. And so... Um, and it's the emphasis on this Holy Spirit, which is the operative worker in these breaking barriers and bringing people in. And then in Galatians, we're introduced, Paul introduces this concept of adoption, that not only do you just hear or you're part of a club, but through the Holy Spirit, you're adopted into the family of God, which displaces your physical and socioeconomic identities with becoming a family of God. So when Paul says you're neither male nor female, slave nor free or whatnot, it's because you're part of the family of God. You have a new reality. Um, and so anyway, then I just talk about just different ways. Adoption is not in the Old Testament. It wasn't practiced by Hebrews much as we understand it in the New Testament. There were a lot of laws which provided for the care of children in the Old Testament, but you didn't switch from family to family, right? You didn't lose a status as, as your own family. You were just brought up by the people who were closest to you. Um, According to Miriam Oh my Webster, goodness, my, uh, I said something about adoption and Hey Google wanted to uh, tell me all about it. <laughs> anyway. Man, um, that government's listening in. Right? <laughs> um, that's okay. So anyway, we'll go. I was you, trying to look up. A, you thought you were an empty nester. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say is, like, uh, flip side of that is the Roman world, they practiced an adoption that literally you changed from family to family, right? Like you weren't just cared for by extended relatives. You became an absolutely new person uh, through their adoption legally and so on and so forth. Um, that's all I'll say for right now. But there is something else in here that I want to bring up, and it is how Roman adoption worked, and it mm -hmm. makes Paul's context. I mean, it's amazing. But anyway, mm -hmm. what do you got just out the gate? Well, uh, I was a while ago when my phone, when you heard music coming from my phone, that was the ending of Cowboy Bebop, by the way. <laughs> but a while ago when you heard that, I was trying to look up a Peter Lightheart uh, article that he wrote about Pentecost. Because I wanted to share something uh, in the article with you, uh, but I can't find the exact quote. But basically what he does is he connects um, this principle 
of Paul talking about how the Spirit causes us to cry, Abba, Father. And he connects the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to the passage in John where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Yeah. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit seals us for redemption, as Paul talks about in Ephesians uh, 1.13 and Ephesians 4.30. And it provides us that stamp of approval of God's adoption of us. Because if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about us being adopted as sons in that text as well. And I think Ephesians chapter 1, like if you just wanted to step away from the lectionary uh, completely for Pentecost Sunday, pastors, if you're listening, if you just wanted to completely step away from the lectionary for Pentecost Sunday, you could easily preach Ephesians chapter 1, 13 through 14 and talk about how the Holy Spirit provides us with that sign and seal of adoption and provides us with, with a seal of our salvation. And that's what Lifeheart is getting at in this article. And I'm not, and Chris, I'm not sure if you've already got the resources done for, for this lesson or not. No, okay. Chris. Then I'll, okay. Then as we're, then after we get done, I'll, I'll try to post this article uh, in with the resources. But Lightheart does a great job of breaking down what it means for us to be a Pentecostal people. Uh, and the way he talks about that, he doesn't mean it like in the denominational sense or in the, or in the charismatic sense of the word, the way we use it now, the way Lightheart means it is that to be Pentecostal means that you embrace the work of the Spirit in your life. It means that you embrace the adoption of the Spirit, means you embrace the seal of the Spirit. Um, and that's really what it means to be a Pentecostal people. Uh, as a matter of fact, for Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to preach a sermon at my church called Presbycostal. And I'm going to talk about those themes. Presbycostal? Is that what you're saying? Presbycostal, yes. Interesting. That's that's interesting that you bring up the the sign and the seal from the Holy Spirit. Because if we think about adoption in our context here in the United States, when you are adopted, it's not official until the courts put their stamp of approval on it. So, you know, you could have your quote unquote adopted aunts, uncles, grandparents, whatever, but it's not an official adoption until the court puts their stamp of approval on it. Kind of like the Holy Spirit puts his stamp on us to make our adoption official. Um, in fact, my husband, going back to the story in the beginning, my husband um, his parents married when he was like eight, but he wasn't officially adopted until last year by his dad. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he has in a frame in his office, the official stamped adoption paperwork that says that he is officially a, his father. <clears throat> yeah. We're actually waiting on that. Uh, we're, we're waiting on that process. We, we waited until Marcus was older until he decided he wanted to be adoption. So we're actually waiting um, until they catch up in court until we get that official thing. And I bring that up because um, one of the things that kind of surprised my wife, which I kind of knew, but it bears on this lesson. Like she didn't understand why Marcus would have to have a new birth certificate, but in every respect, you're no longer part of your old family. You are in every respect, 
like Amy's on his birth certificate mm. now. Like, right? right. And so he has been transferred um, to the family of the flames. <laughs> right. Yes. And, so, and she could, she just couldn't understand why they had to do so much work on a birth certificate or a new social security card. And so yeah. it was, it was kind of weird for her that now she really is a mom again. Like, right. Yeah. She's legally and, and whatever, like when Ooh. someone, looks on yeah. birth certificate. all ramifications land on her lap. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's so, which is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the image, right. And that's the power of the image. Like you are, you are not what you were. You're new and in a new family. Um, mm-hmm. As if, as if you were never anything else, which is an yeah. amazing image when you're part yeah, of the, the The past is erased. It's gone. You know, which when we think about adoption into the family of God, that's really what the Holy Spirit is saying that once you're part of the family of God, then your prior identity, your prior affiliation is, is, no longer a part of who you are this is who you are you are a follower of christ and you're part of this family which is a a beautiful thing i mean thinking about people that have been redeemed and people that come from horrible backgrounds horrible pasts that they don't have to be affiliated with that anymore that you can leave that you can leave that behind but then it also, let me say this, because here's the, here's the broader picture. The broader picture would be that even though you're new, like for Marcus, for instance, he still had moms and dads and he had family experiences. Yeah. Now then you also appropriate what it means to be new. And so then that's when Paul gets into the, like, you've taken off the old self and put on the new self, but you still have that struggle because you're appropriating what is new, just as mm-hmm. you would in any other situation. Like there's, a proclamation that you have been changed from one family to another, from darkness to light, old to new. And now you appropriate those things as you go on and live. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. the, the week that y'all watch this, uh, this weekend, I will be in revival with my grandpa at Paris, at Paris Arkansas. Man, I think I'm going to preach on this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a cool, yeah. it's a really cool image. And maybe let cool me go ahead and read this, uh, this paragraph on chapter 76, it's in the middle of the middle paragraph, we'll say that, and it's talking about adoption, especially in the Roman world, which of course the Galatians are very, they understand very well. Um, The best known example of adoption in the Roman world is Julius Caesar adopting and naming his great nephew, Gaius Octavius Therinus, as his son and heir over his own biological son, Caesarian. After Julius Caesar was assassinated, everybody knows about that story. Anyway, Octavius consolidated the Roman Republic and eventually declared himself the first emperor of the Roman Empire. So that's where you get the name Augustus from, right? So we know Augustus Caesar through Luke chapter two. That's where we're at. Like Jesus' birth, this Augustus Caesar is is here. Now, what's important to note is that after Julius Caesar died, the Roman Senate then proclaimed Julius Caesar a god. So therefore, Augustus then began using the title Didiphilus, which is the son of God, little g. So then Paul then, so this is the context, like the son of God, an adopted child became the son of God. And then you have Paul comes in and he has this revolutionary message that by the Holy Spirit and through faith, you too can become not the son of a little God but you can become the son of the almighty God of heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing mm-hmm. passage. Yeah. That preaches, mm-hmm. that preaches. Well. Um, 
And that's Somebody amazing. Have a spell. Yeah, right. Um, and I didn't ever connect those two things together until I really started studying for this lesson. And then for the Jewish person, then it redefines their relationship to the law. So not only now, they're not just servants of God by, by making sure every jot and tittle is taken care of with the law. But now they're mm -hmm. received as children. And the law is an instruction, but their love or God's love for them and their love for God now is based upon that family relationship. Um, which is, it's what uh, Hubert Murrow, when he wrote The Covenant of Grace, that's what his understanding and what our 1984 Confessions of Understanding would be of the covenant of grace. Like we, we respond to God and our family, God, not because of law, but because of grace. We've covenanted and we're, we, we understand the covenant through family. Um, anyway, that's an amazing, that's just amazing. Preach, Logan. It is. Preach it well. Preach it well. I'm just going to get this copy of the encounter and put it on the pulpit and that'll be my message. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That is an amazing process. I love, I love that last line that you put in this section. It says, because God loves you intimately, just as much as his one and only child, Jesus Christ. And I think that is really hard for us to grapple with. And I can only imagine in the context of the new Jewish converts, how difficult of a concept that was to grasp that it wasn't the law it wasn't just keeping everything, but that God loved them so much that he would make them his children, make them, you know, able to be heirs to the same thing. I mean, how hard is that for us to understand and how much harder it must have been for them to understand? I know it's yeah. tough. Yeah. So, right. That's our discussion question is this one, right? Yes. So what and this is our discussion question of the week. Yeah. So say that you're, you're a Gentile convert. What does it mean? What benefits are there to being part of the family of God? What are our inheritances as children of God? And we've kind of talked about some. Our past is gone. Right. I mean, we're not looked upon because, okay, oh, you're a slave. No, 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 no. I'm a child of God. <laughs> yes. No, I'm a child of God. Or, you know, I mean, that's, that's a benefit. But then there's also the obvious benefits of heaven and uh, security of knowing what's in the future and that God holds the future. And those are some of them. Well, you know, think? I think there's a, I, th I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could look at it, but I think there's a, there's an eschatological element to it. Uh, whenever you talk about an inheritance, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that the meek will inherit the earth. And of course we know that the only way someone is truly meek or someone meets those uh, requirements of the attitudes is if they have faith in Christ. Uh, and so what, whatever I have as a son of God, I have because God has given it to me. Mm. I have whatever God has. I have access to whatever God has. So that means it, in, a, in a very real eschatological sense, because I'm a son of God, the earth is mine. You know, God sits on his throne in heaven. The earth is his footstool. And so what that means for me personally is that means that I get to partake of that. I get to inherit that at the end of the age. Um, you know, when, whenever you read of the, the coming judgment in Matthew 24 and Jesus's all of that discourse, he says that uh, there's coming a time when 
one will be taken, one will be left behind. And we always read that, you know, as American dispensationals, we read that passage as the rapture. That's not the rapture. He's talking about the days of Noah. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And he talks about how when Noah came and built the ark, he said, and the, the floods came and it took away the wicked. It took away everyone that wasn't in the ark. And then he says, one will be taken and one will be left. Well, the one being taken isn't being taken in the rapture. The one being taken is being taken away to God's judgment. And the one being left is, is the one who has righteousness by faith in Christ. And they're left to inherit the earth. Why do you got to leave an earth that you're going to inherit? So eschatologically speaking, I think what this means is that the righteous by faith inherit the earth because they have access to everything that God has access to. They're sons of God, and so they receive the inheritance that God's going to give them. And it's a remaking of the Garden of Eden in the sense right. that we're, yeah. we're prophet, priest, and kings of the earth through, right. you know, through God's, um, you know, God's command, but mm-hmm. God inspires that or gives that or bestows that upon us as children mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. That, that's mm-hmm. probably my post-millennial theology coming out, but that's that's kind of that's kind of how I how I interpret the the, the whole inheritance issue. Yeah, well, that's a good one. What about you, Becky? Well, I think you know because I've worked with people um, in recovery that this whole idea of adoption is just a beautiful notion for them. Um, because so many of them carry such guilt and shame, regret from what they've done or gone through or what they put their children through, put their families through, um, that for them to be able to really start with a clean slate, to know that God loves them so much that, that he wipes all of that away. Not to say that doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with the consequences of those choices and actions in the future, but that you can really start afresh, start anew to get over the guilt and the shame and, and be a part of the family that God called you to be a part of. And to know that you have the same inheritance as, as the person sitting next to you at church. Um, you know, that you have that no matter what your past looks like, that you still have that possibility uh, you know, because God loves you that much. And to them, it was always such a, a beautiful and freeing <clears throat> feeling when they really recognized how much God truly cared for them. And, and for me, that's, you know, I come from a, a good home, but in my 20s and 30s, I made some bad choices. And to know that God still loved me enough to allow me to move beyond my past and to call me to something amazing like what I'm doing today. For me, that was very freeing to know that God loved me that much and would adopt me and allow me to inherit right along the rest of his children. Yeah, I think when you Beautiful explain process. it like that, this finds maybe maybe the the equivalent of the Old Testament thought of this passage would be the prodigal son getting the ring back when he comes home, uh, mm-hmm. even though he was already a biological son. In some sense, he had put himself out of relationship. But when he comes back home, the father says, kill the fatted calf, put the ring on his finger. In that sense, mm-hmm. it's that it's that your past is your past where you were once lost. Now you're found. And then we, we mm-hmm. keep going. I think that's that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. 
It's a beautiful story. It is. How about digging? How about digging deeper? So there's two things here. Again, this is a very hard pass, or this whole book is hard because really Paul is is talking two ways. He's always talking with the background of the Gentiles in mind, and then he's trying to combat and affirm uh, Jewish Christians as well, right? Like he's not completely trying to just tear down Jewish Jewish folks. I mean, like, so what what we end up doing here. Paul then transitions to talk about the law or whatnot. And so while the Old Testament doesn't have adoption per se in it, Hosea chapter 11, 1, they would at least understand when Hosea 11, 1 says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So in some sense, God did adopt, right? They understand this, that God chose the people of Israel to, to continue to bring, bring about this plan of the Messiah, Right. And so, anyway, Paul, Paul then likens the law to, to, to a parent or a teacher that teaches you how to do good and right things. So the plan was always to bring the Messiah. But until the Messiah came, you were under the guardian of the law, right? And so then, um, in Christ, the adoption that out of Egypt, I called my son, but even more so in the Messiah. Now you, you're all sons. You've made it in some sense. And so I've said that Christ's coming was the completion of the promise in Jeremiah 31, where it says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. I will forgive their inequity and remember their sin no more. That's kind of the, the Messiah. That's that. So that external law is then replaced by a relationship as, as a child to a parent to where you have a, an intimate knowledge, not just an external um, knowledge of the law. You have an intimate knowledge of God. So that's what Paul was talking about for the Jewish folks. In the Roman culture, um, there was a time set that a child could take over the inheritance of the father. And it didn't have to be death. It could be whatever time the father said. It could be 10 years after the father died, whatever. They just set a date and said, at this date, you get all the benefits that um, that that come from being my son or daughter or son, I guess, in this, in this particular part. So Paul said, the time is now. Like, if you're a Gentile, your inheritance has been set and it's now. Come on in. Like, right, receive the full benefit of being a, uh, an adult child in God in some way, right? So that was the two things that was happening in the digging deeper part. And I go into some different scriptures that, you know, build that up. But pretty much, um, that's it. I mean, that's what Paul was trying to get at, I think. The way the law worked for the Jews and the Gentiles. The one thing I really liked in this section was you said adoption requires a choice. Right. Like nobody. So like just because I mean, it's a sob story, just because you're a kid who doesn't have parents doesn't mean anybody has to care. Right. I mean, like hopefully society does, but it's no legal obligation for society to care for for an orphan. But people choose then to set their love upon somebody. And that's right. That's what God did with Israel. He chose to set his love upon these slaves, these small people, these, you know, and, and, yeah. and so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that goes along with like what you were talking about with you and Amy and Marcus, 
and how you waited until he was over 18 for him to make that choice. So in, in your case, it was both ends, you know, that you were making the decision, the choice to adopt Marcus, but then Marcus is making the decision to be adopted. Yeah. And that's kind of a, that's a beautiful, beautiful application of that too. My sister-in-law is another, because she's two years older than my husband. Um, she was adopted by my father-in-law, but not my mother-in-law because she loved her mom, but her mom died very young, but her dad was never active in her life. And so when they did the adoption, it was just my father-in-law adopted her. So his name was changed on the birth certificate, you know, not, not her mom's name, but her, her dad's name was. And that was, again, you know, she's, uh, I won't say mid forties, <laughs> she's in her mid forties and, uh, you know, and she made that choice to be adopted by my father-in-law so that she had a dad, even at this stage in life, that she has a dad that's active and a participant in her life. That's really cool. Logan. I got anything to add to that? (laughs) Oh, there's all kinds of things to add to. I'm sure somebody will let me know something. Uh, I mean, I really. I'm thinking thinking about your family context, though, Logan. I mean, your grandparents had, even though not legal per se, adoption, but your grandparents had a big influence and a big part of your growing up. Well, yeah. And it's really interesting when you, I mean, I just now just, just, this just occurred to me when you mentioned it, my grandpa. So here's a fun fact. My grandpa is not actually my grandpa. He's my step grandpa. Okay. And, and he actually doesn't have, and I wish I'd thought of this earlier. I'm bringing it up now, but it's, he's, he actually doesn't have any biological children. So, okay. so, so here's, this was interesting. Um, and he would, pr- given that he's Pentecostal, he would probably not like for me to mention this, but because he doesn't realize that the stigma around divorce in the church has almost completely disappeared. Thank God. Uh, but my grandpa has been married five times. Uh, my grandma that he's married to now, it has been his last and longest marriage. And um, he, he has two stepchildren that he basically adopted from his second marriage. And he's got two more from his third marriage. Um, his third wife, uh, his third wife passed away. And she, she got cancer at a really young age. And mm-hmm. it, it was really unfortunate how... They, she found out she had cancer and it's almost like she went immediately. Right. Wow. Yeah. And she, she was 29 years old when she died and she left behind, she left behind two kids. uh, And my grandpa took them in and he raised them along with the two other stepchildren that he was already raising from his previous marriage. And um, then, you know, he meets my grandma And my grandma has a child, my father. And so they get married and it's all stepchildren, right? (laughs) All stepchildren all the time. It's like a sitcom. (laughs) And so they're 
yeah, they're figuring out how to live live together, and it's they 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 got them all out of the house, and um, <laughs> and now definitely, you know maybe. they're living that they're living that empty nest retirement life. They have they're in their seventies. They have an RV. They come and go as they please. I don't even know. Like if I happen to come home and see the RV gone, it's nothing. Yeah, it's just another day. Yeah, I mean it's good, and and I know that, and that's that's a cool thing that your grandpa did then because he again he didn't have to. I mean he didn't have to take in anybody. Like, right, right? But, he's he's a remarkable man. He really is. Very good. I mean, to oh, think I, about that. You know, he took in five children that were not his own. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I, I mean that's huge. Yeah, he took in five kids that weren't even his, and we got and, and we got some men that won't even take care of one that's their own. Ooh, that'll preach on Sunday morning, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. We're giving Logan all sorts of good sermons. Right. I tell you <laughs> I'm what, gonna start I'm, charging commission, Logan. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I I'm I'm fired up. That's gonna be a long revival, friends. <laughs> <laughs> My church got it this last Sunday, I'm telling you. Because mm. I I, my church got it this last Sunday. I told Chris I had four pages of notes and I looked at it and I thought, well, this isn't much. I'll, t- I'll probably run through this in about 20 minutes. I, I clocked out at 47 and a half minutes. So did they tell you that you clocked out at 47 minutes? Because if they no, told the reason you. They- that, no, they didn't tell me. Matter of fact, when I got done, I thought it was just 20 minutes. The reason I know that wow. is because I, I use a digital voice recorder on my phone to record the sermons. And when I hit stop on it, it said 47 minutes and some odd seconds. I was like, man, I didn't know I talked that long. It happens sometimes. But what sometimes you just said. the spirit moves. Yeah. Becky, do you have anything on that? Because I think in a way, Logan brought up, you know, kind of the learning from the mm-hmm. scripture. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um so I, I talk about Logan, you had brought up earlier about the verse of I will not leave you as orphans, right? That's yeah. And I, I get this in here uh, at the bottom of or on page 79. But I set it up like I remember when my parents like I remember when when all of my grandparents died. Right. And so my um, the first one to to die was if I remember correctly, it was my dad's mom died. And then my mom's dad died. And then my dad's dad died. And then finally my mom's mom died. But I remember their reactions, right? In the sense of when when uh, when both of my dad's parents died, I just remember he kind of said it off the cuff. He said, well, I'm an orphan now, right? And so you spend your whole entire life not being an orphan. And even though you're older, your parents are gone. And like, that's a crazy thing. Like it. Yeah. It has to be a crazy thing. And then I remember when my grandmother died, my mom's mom, I remember my mom saying, I've lost my best friend. And that's my dog going crazy. So give me one second. Well, you know, I don't know if he's ready to come back or not, but I was just going to mm-hmm. mention, there I was just going to mention that it, that whenever you're, whenever you lose both your parents, I mean, that becomes a pivotal moment where you realize that, that you're all you have now. I mean, you, you know, if you're a Christian, you have a relationship with God, but 
and, and so I, I don't want to dismiss that, but at the same time, I think adulthood really kicks in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no matter what age you are. Yeah. So then to take that a little further. So in, at the Margaret Hank church, we had about 14, 15 regular participants in our youth group. And it was kind of crazy. Like of the 14 kids we had, uh, four of them had lost a parent at one, either their mom or their dad, uh, wow. and ended up having to live with grandparents or whatnot. And then we had two kids that had mom and dad at home. Uh, but you know, eight or nine of them lived with either grandmom or mom, uh, no dad, uh, in, in their, in their life. And so what I got to see was how the family of God worked for whatever reason, we were very serious about uh, taking care of those kids. So we would have church members that you could just, you knew when school started, one of those older ladies were going to take them to get shoes, haircuts, new clothes. You, I knew mm-hmm. that one of the men would go watch a ball game, you know, football game or something. I just knew. And, and, and we were very sensitive to their needs and I know that their lives are better now because they were part of that family of God than they would have been if they tried to make it on their own. Right. Right. And so I saw in action what a church can do when they take this family of God motif or theme very serious. Mm -hmm. Really. But isn't that what we, isn't that what we should do? I mean, I loved your story in here about that because to me that exemplifies exactly what we should be doing as a family of God. I know in in my two congregations, we talk about this a lot and I emphasize it a lot that as this body, as this congregation, we are a family. We're here to support and take care of each other. And yeah, we don't always like each other. You know, you always have the crazy uncle, the nosy aunt or whatever, but that we're here to really take care of, encourage, and build up one another, especially in our times of need. And to me, this was, this was a great story, Chris, of, of the family of God acting exactly like the family of God should act. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of families of God that don't act very much like families. <laughs> no, I'll say this. That was my proudest thing about the church that I served. Like if I could point to anything to say that our church made a difference, I can point to that. There's about 13 or 14 kids that I know we fundamentally changed the projection of their future families. Um, So like that question that sometimes people bring up, if your church disappeared, would anybody notice? I know at least 14 kids would notice and the world would notice because it would be harder on them. And I'm proud of that. Very proud of that. Amen. Yeah, I mean, Becky, you mentioned it earlier. My grandparents, they, my grandparents basically raised me as their Mm -hmm. kid because my mother is, well, my mother is a terrible human being. Um, And my dad was pretty much absent for most of my childhood. And um, so they, they basically raised me. So when the time comes that my grandparents pass away, that's basically going to be the moment that I, that, that I lose my parental figures. Mm-hmm. And in a way that's sad to say, because I know I'm not going to feel that way when the time comes that my mom or dad pass away. Yeah. It's, it, it's going to suck when my dad passes away um, and I'm going to feel it, but I'm, 
I don't think I'll feel it as much as when my grandparents will pass away because they have, they have shaped me and provided in a way that I couldn't shape or provide for myself. And I wonder all the time, I wonder all the time what my life would have been like if, uh, if they hadn't done that for me. Right. Um, I like and that. I wonder what it would have been like if my, I wonder what it would have been like if my mom and dad had tried to stay together and raise me in that environment. Because, I mean, I don't care what you say about divorce. Some divorces are necessary. Um, it was necessary for my mom and dad to divorce and get away from each other. It, it was, their marriage was dysfunctional and destructive all the way around. And they're not in, my dad's in a good place now. Um, my mom not, isn't, but she never has been. And it would have just been so much worse if they had stayed together and then tried to raise mm -hmm. me in that environment. Mm -hmm. I, there's no telling what kind of dysfunctional human being I'd turn out to be. I'll say this. One of the things that I have learned, uh, I, I've been recording the Covenant of Grace for an audio edition which has opened my eyes to many things, but there's a section in that book that speaks specifically toward how the church can stand in the gap with divorced families and with children without parents and these kinds of things. And so that's worth reading. Uh, once we get that up and running, you can, you can buy that from us and you'll enjoy it. <laughs> hey, sure. by the way, is that going to be, is that going to be on script? I don't know this, what we're doing right now is just learning how to do things and then, uh, then learn more how to do things because um, it's not as easy as just setting up a recorder and talking right. for six and a half hours. So we're learning, mm -hmm. but we're going to try our very best mm -hmm. to get it as distributed as possible. Mm -hmm. but I'm excited about but it. I want it on script or audible. Right. Um, One of the two. One of the two. We're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it, and you saying that Chris, I was thinking about the early church and how they took in each other, no matter where they came from, and how part of the church they tried to stamp out. Um, you know, we look back through history when the church was heavily persecuted, and, and they could not stamp out the church, and it was because they were taking care of the people that couldn't take care of themselves, they were truly exemplifying that family of God. And I think how amazing would it be if our churches really took that to heart and took yeah. care of the people in our communities that could not take care of themselves or stood in the gap in places where single moms and single dads and grandparents that are trying to raise grandkids and, um, you know, if we really stood in the gap to help, like we should, how much of a difference we would make. Um, make a huge country. difference, both for, the, both for the kids, but also for us. And I'll tell you this, yeah. this is really important to me. Like my daughter is, is a very big, she wants to do a lot of good things, right? She's an activist for everything uh, because that's her generation. And so I was like, well, it's good to say things, but what are you doing, right? And she said, well, what can I do? Yes. I was like, well, the best thing to do is to do something. Uh, yeah. Right. And so like, here's what I've realized, like uh, in my relationship with 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 children, especially like Marcus, biracial kid working with the school system, helping helping out children of different 
socioeconomic and racial backgrounds and being in the life and going to eat with their families and doing things. I think this is how you do it. You do it as a family. You actually right. just do something. Like if, if, if the opportunity arises, take in a kid. That's what you do. I guarantee mm -hmm. you taking in a kid is going to do more than any type of activism uh, in your own particular world. Activism is important in the sense of if it can create a just a just movement, then good. But also you have to do something. It needs to be anchored to something. And so like, and I think the model of family is a pretty good way of working, inviting people into the family and, and treating people as they're their family. And so anyway, I think that that's good. Yeah. And that's what our churches should be doing is yeah. being a family, treating each other like they're a family. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're on the topic of, of acting like a family and being a family, one of the things that was really big in the historic, in the historic mother Presbyterian church uh, was family worship. Yeah. Like it was, it was such a big deal. Uh, matter of fact, today, even in the PCA and in the uh, Re Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, they still teach that, you know, you have to do family worship with your family every day or at least once or twice a week, something like that. You've got to get your family together consistently in your home and pray together, mm -hmm. read scripture together, sing hymns together, because mm -hmm. that's that's how you disciple your children. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's, man. It's discipling in the ordinary our ordinary yeah. everyday lives you know discipling there yeah right and so people wonder why people wonder why they people wonder why you know they drop their kids off at youth group on wednesday night they let them go to youth act youth sunday school on sunday morning and they don't do anything with them through the week and they wonder why they're acting like little hellions well it's because god's not the center of your life you're just using the church mm -hmm. to babysit your kids and so Teach your kids how to love God, how to serve God, how to worship God, and do that as a family. And if you don't, you're going to raise your kids up to be little monsters, and chaotic gremlins. Gremlins, don't get them water. Don't get them wet. So anyway, I think that's about Let's, it. Yeah. Hit us with the applying the scripture, because you had another beautiful personal story here that really touched my heart yeah so uh the Carmelite presbyterian catechism has a question it's question number 52 was what does the adoption mean and the answer is adoption means being accepted into god's family sinful people that we are um and i do remember one of the times with marcus and amy and i were we were going to a movie downtown paducah and we had it was the life of pi we had marcus was just hard and he just liked to play video games, but I'd make him come with us to do things because too much video games leads to like rotten teeth. And, you know, anyway, <laughs> whatever I can say about just a second. Yeah. Oh my God. Sorry guys. This is part of those things that uh, yep. we have to. Happens. Uh, anyway, we were at the movie. He didn't want to be there. And so he just made, you know, when kids don't want to be somewhere, they just make everybody's life miserable, right? Like, because they just, anyway, he said something while we were walking from the restaurant to the theater. And of course it just, oh gosh, it flew all over me and Amy because it was hurtful and mean or whatnot. And of course when, you know, I'm, I try to be patient and then sometimes it just loses, I lose, I lose all sense of 
grace and peace. Anyway, mm. of course, I yelled some, he yelled some. And then I remember him just sitting down. He finally got to like a curb and he just, he was young at the time. He just sat down, started crying. He said, I just want to be somewhere where I don't mess things up. And then I thought, yeah, sinful, sinful though I am, uh, God right. has brought me into the family. And I do mm. remember that was kind of a turning point with us as a family. Just, you know, look, you can be angry and mad, but let's just treat each other with respect and let's let let's at least do that and then i promise i'll be the best authority figure i can be for you right i mean that's um but i do remember that sinful though we are uh god takes us in and so that again i've told you the family experiences that i've had have illustrated grace to me more than sermons can mm -hmm. and i will yeah. say this Absolutely. in our relationships this is at least it teaches me humility. There's been times I've been a terrible parent and probably the most humbling thing in the world is when a kid, when you have to apologize to a kid, but then a kid accepts mm -hmm. it too in a right way. So yeah, that's humbling. And, that uh, is humbling. I mean, that, that story kind of, that story kind of hits me in a pastoral way because uh, I've been a youth pastor twice and then the first church I pastored, I left angry and hurt and resentful, and they were angry and hurt and resentful, and 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 I was just I didn't care, man. I, I was hurt, and I did some stuff to mess up. They did some stuff to mess up, but they weren't they weren't acknowledging what they did to mess up. And they were expecting me to apologize for what I did. And I, I just didn't want to do ministry anymore. I didn't want to do life anymore. I didn't want to do anything anymore. I just wanted to go back and work at the hotel and work overnight until I died. And then uh, I came to the church I'm at now, and I don't really know what their expectations of me are, but they like me and I like them. And I, I, I feel like I feel like I'm allowed to mess up, whereas I didn't feel that before. Yeah, and that's part of that's part of the adoption process. That's the other. Oh, mm -hmm. I, I've got some things I've got to get done because, as y'all can tell, it just life doesn't stop. But um, one of the things about adoption is once you do that, there ain't no taking it back. You can't take it back. It's done mm -hmm. legally. It's been the stamps done. Yeah. Uh, and as much as you might want to be like, I hey, would think about this a little bit more. It's done. Uh, you it's live done. with it. And in a lot of ways, that's the way it is. Well, in every respect that mm -hmm. the preservation of the saints, God has mm -hmm. set his love upon you. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, And I think that's a beautiful place for us to stop for today, for us all to think about our own personal context and how we are with those in our context and our congregations, you know, are we the adoptive family that we're supposed to be? And if we're not, what can we do to change that? Yeah. Well, so y'all have a blessed week. Thank you to both of you. And then also for our mm -hmm. people who follow along, yeah, this is just a difficult thing to get everything right and in time and try to get, so anyway, thanks for hanging in there. Um, I will say that we're work. I'm working on some things that down the road, I'm hoping will will make this easier. But we'll see what happens. Anyway, 
um, thank y'all and y'all have a good one and we'll see you next week. Bye. All right, now I, here we go. Don't worry, I'll trim this part. Hey, is there a way we could just break for a while? Cause I had some people come in that I didn't know and it's gonna take me a little while and. Um, yep. Can we do this? Can we pick it up again? Maybe sometime later in the week, maybe. Cause it's gonna be a while. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's cool. Uh, good. I am completely flustered at this particular moment. So deep breath, uh, deep breath. Yeah, no deep breath. It'll be okay. Um, but thank y'all very much. And I'll, I'll get with you again here and here and however long and we'll figure something out. Okay. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.